Um, as Sean said, I'm reading from Romans 11, verse 33 to 12.1, and it's on page 1188 in the Red Bibles. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory for ever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So if you just want to go a little bit more forward in your Bibles um, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to the end. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believer, believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of the scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because in doing so, no, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We've come to our last uh, in this Reformation series we've been doing uh, this term. the end of reforming, maybe. There's an outline uh, that's there that uh, will hopefully help you as we uh, go through tonight. We've been looking at those four uh, big ideas from the Reformation. Uh, grace alone. How can a person come back into relationship with God? Well, it's by God's grace alone. Uh, no one is more deserving of it. Uh, all are equally undeserving. How does God reveal his grace to us? Well, it's in Christ alone. How does God save us in Christ alone? What he has done, not through priests or ritual or ceremony, but who he is and what he's done. Where can we hear God's true voice? Well, in the Bible alone. The scripture is that one authority, final authority in the matter. Not mystical experience or reason or authoritative teaching of the church or something else. And faith alone. What is our part in this salvation of God that that God has brought? Well, it's faith alone. Faith doesn't bring anything in and of itself, but recognizes its emptiness and trusts what God has done. Trusts the salvation that God has brought in Jesus. Even our faith is the work of God's Spirit in us. We've seen how the Reformers, how they regathered these truths of scripture and they sought to reform what people believed and what they did what the leaders taught uh, as the truth of the gospel and and what church meant and what they did when they got together but is that kind of where all things end is this the end of reforming if you like the reformation you know it's happened in the past 
Uh, it might have given us these new key, a new, new way of thinking, key truths to hold on to. Uh, it, it's changed things, but is that kind of it? It's sort of done and, and done back there, done and dusted in a sense. Well, we know that the reformers said many other things than just those four slogans. In fact, there's, there are actually five, and we're going to get to that one at the end of tonight. Um, but there's another key idea which was part of the Reformation movement more broadly. Uh, it's this kind of Latin phrase, because all of them were originally Latin, uh, semper reformanda, semper reformanda. Has anyone heard of that apart from those who might have been here this morning and uh, I hadn't particularly heard of that uh, before preparing um, f- for the Reformation series. Um, it's usually translated always reforming, but it's actually better translated always being reformed. Always being reformed. You see, in the eyes of the Reformers, the Reformation was always intended as an ongoing project, something that continued, not kind of done, you know, tick the box, there we go, don't need to worry about that anymore, but continual Reformation, reformation. And that meant continual movement, ongoing movement, not kind of off into the distance as the sun sets, but back. And not just back kind of to the past because, you know, you've got those rosy colored glasses on, you look back and everything looks better in the past. No, 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 not back to the past, but back to the Word of God, the Bible. Semper reformanda, they said always being reformed. And so, as back then, so continually now, the measure, the rule, the authority that is always reforming us or that we are always being reformed by must be the Scriptures, the Bible, God's Word. This was, as one person commented, the real kind of engine room of the Reformation, humanly speaking, the Scriptures. You see, before the Reformation, ignorance of the Word of God was widespread uh, and profound. Uh, It wasn't just among the general populace, but among uh, some of the priests as well. And when you came to church, you could expect to hear the saying of the Mass in Latin, which not even all of the priests understood. The prayers would be in Latin. The, The words about the meaning of what was going on was in Latin. The Bible read in Latin. It might sound a little bit ludicrous, but with, within that, that system of sacraments that the medieval Roman Catholic Church had, a kind of practical outcome was that, in one sense, understanding of the words and what was going on wasn't the most important thing, but it was about participating in the ritual and, and, and receiving a kind of substance almost of God's grace, receiving God's grace in the, in the act of being there, in the act of receiving communion, in the act of participating in the ceremony. Your preaching had, in early days of the church, uh, been significant, but that had declined over the centuries before the Reformation such that it was only in a small percent of churches that you would hear a regular sermon or homily. Uh, Even then, it's likely to have been in Latin. The Mass and the importance of the Mass in the ritual had had pushed preaching to the side. But as the Reformers saw, it was understanding the Word of God that clearly highlighted for the reformers, the need to be reformed. 
The word of God was significant, not because of the particular sounds that were made as it was read out in Latin, but because of the way that God's spirit worked through the message that it conveyed. The good news. Good news is is a message, isn't it? The true gospel was what the people needed to hear and understand, grasp, take hold of. And the traditions that in the church at that time had been had prevented that from happening. So then as we think about the reformers' own journey in this, it was as they read and understood the scriptures themselves, discovering these liberating truths in God's word, the truth of the gospel, that that they that they understood so then they all, they sought to bring that to the people to bring the people here and the word of god here together in such a way that there would be understanding engagement that people would understand the true gospel and that as that happened god would take hold of them in the in the truth of scripture by his spirit and so they set about the proclamation of the scriptures of the of the bible preaching the word of god the word of god was was taught and and declared so that people heard and understood the truth they taught they persuaded from the scriptures they preached the bible so it could be understood and that humanly speaking was the engine room of the reformation because as the word of god and the truths in the word of god was were understood by the people well the Word of God has always been the engine room of God's work. The Word of God in the hands of the Spirit is the way that God works, the way that He's always worked, the way that He continues to work. Think back to the beginning. God spoke and and spoke creation into being. By His Word, God forms people and reforms people always being reformed by the scriptures well what does that mean for us now it means that as we continue on this path this path of always being reformed our main game is to bring people into contact with the word of god and his people here's the word of god how do we bring them into contact in a way that they can engage with and understand it. That's the way God works. That's the, that's the way he does his work in our lives, in people's lives. And so that's our main gain. That's central to our strategy of seeing lives transformed through Jesus to his glory. That's our main approach for, for making disciples and growing disciples, to, to bring people to and under the word of God and pray that God's Spirit works through that Word in their lives. And so we need to continue to do that. In fact, we shape what we do in our church meetings, in our growth group gatherings, with our kids and youth, and with people who aren't here. We want to connect them up with the Word of God, sit under the Word of God ourselves. We read from uh, 1 Timothy uh, a little earlier, and Paul urges Timothy, Preach the word. Don't neglect. What is it? Where is it? Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. They read the Scriptures. They talk about them. They understand them together. They, can, they exhort one another about it. 
That's why we read the Bible together, why we preach, why we sing from the Scriptures, why we pray from the Scriptures even, as Sean led us earlier, why Emma, as we were talking about in that interview, wants to meet with, with others and read the Bible together. It's going to be the centre of our time together, the Word of God. And it's what uh, this verse from Romans chapter 2, sorry, chapter 12, verse 2 is about as well. Let's look. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. The renewing of your mind there, that comes from the Word of God. And it's the Word of God in, comp- in the company of His people that God transforms us and transforms others, reforms us. He convicts us. A week ago or so, a bit over a week ago at youth group, uh, we had a night where we were uh, focusing on the persecuted church uh, and we had different sort of stations uh, that were, were activities that we were involved with. One of them was remembering uh, a passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, can anyone, anyone know that one? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, if, I say, if I say some of it, you'll probably uh, remember some of it. See if I can remember it. Uh, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges and... Oh, I missed this bit as well. Leaders? Thank you. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's right. Um, and that's, a, that's a, a great verse. It's a great verse about the power of Scripture, a great verse about the way that Scripture convicts us of sin, shows us where we're headed off on the wrong track. And also, as we think about 2 Timothy 3.16, it, it teaches us and trains us. But as I was preparing for today, it struck me that we tend not to do so much, you know, memorising Scripture or Scripture memorization, as I uh, put it this morning. We don't tend to do that so much as adults these days. You know, maybe, maybe we figure, look, we've got it all on here, it's okay, I can, I can, I'll have that with me and I can pull it out. But if it's just on here, then it's not really going to get in here, is it? Or in here. And it's not going to really shape our minds, our hearts or our hands. God's Word is living and active. Let's, let's get it into us. How are you going at having your mind and, and indeed your heart renewed daily by God's Word. Dwelling upon the Scriptures, as Colossians 3.16 says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's so central to us always being reformed. How much as well as we think about the way that, we think about the way that God works in us and others by the Spirit. How do we long for, we long for others to, to grow, ourselves and others to grow as Christians? Well, under God, if we want to see that happen, well, He's going to use us in many ways. 
How can we grow in confidence to, to share God's word with others? And not just, you know, for, for me or Sean who might be preaching uh, one week, but for all of us, even as we speak a word of an encouragement to one another about how wonderful would it be if that word of, this is something I read in the scriptures earlier this week and I was really encouraged by that and you share that with someone. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that just comes out of us because we're ready to share that, because we're thinking about that or being ready to share, give an answer for the hope that we have within us. Let's get God's word into us as we continually are reformed because the Reformation was an ongoing project, always being reformed. And the measure or the rule uh, that we're reformed by is the word of God. Now, one aspect uh, of church uh, at that particular time as well that was hugely impacted by the Reformation was the Lord's Supper or, or Holy Communion. We're going to have a brief look at that now. In fact, come with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians verse 11. It's between 1 Timothy and Romans. 1 Corinthians 11. We'll pick it up at verse 23. I think it's on the screen as well, but you know, it's always good to flick it up in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. This is Paul talking about uh, the Lord's Supper to the Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the, in the Roman Catholic Mass, the belief is that the, the body of Christ is present. Christ is present in the bread and the wine through uh, transubstantiation that the church teaches. Uh, and, and what happens, it's at, at the altar in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, that this, that the, the bread and the wine is, is, uh, represented, uh, in a sense, about what Christ's sacrifice was. And it's through the, the bread and the wine, in a sense, that, uh, God's grace is mediated and passed on to the people. That was the way that God's grace is received. However, the, the picture of the Lord's Supper from the New Testament, see, that the reformers saw was different. In fact, they understood a sacrament in a different way. Rather than a sacrament being a particular ritual or something that enabled the worshipper to receive God's grace in a more, in a, a substantial or maybe a mystical, mystical kind of way, they understood sacraments rather in terms of promise sacrament in terms of a promise that a sacrament was an action or a symbol that expressed or reminded the people of a promise of god concerning salvation you see the difference there that one under one sees a, a power in the object of the sacrament 
itself and an expression of us taking in that power. The other sees that power, the power of the sacrament in a sense, bound up with God's ability to keep his promise. The sacrament is, is pointing us to God and to his promise and to God's ability to keep that promise. Now, uh, I was thinking about an example or the way that I could just help to flesh this out a little bit. And I, I don't, don't hear this in a, in a crude way. I don't mean it as a crude comparison, but I thought it was a helpful thing. It's a little bit like the difference between a vending machine and a, and a billboard and the way that those things work. You come to a vending machine and, and, and something is given to you. You receive uh, something of power that's given to you. On the other hand, a billboard can remind you about something uh, or point you to something, maybe even tell you something for the first time, but it can, it, it's, it's about a message or a word, something that encourages you to trust God. Now, on the one hand, the, the idea of a kind of vending machine it can be tempting in a sense. It's, it's concrete. It's, I've got something here in my hands, something inside me which has power. And a, and a, and a billboard idea, well, that's, that's harder. Look, it means I've got to think. It means I've got to remember. Uh, it means I've got to let my feelings be shaped by what I know and who I know, who I trust. But I really think in the Scriptures we see that this is the way that God has planned it. This is the way that God has shown himself. For it's to trust his power, to trust what he has done. It reminds me of Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 15 and the promises that God made to Abraham, that he would be a great nation. And he's there with no children and, and an old man. And God says to him, come out and look at the stars so shall your offspring be. And what is a, what's the response? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He, taking God at his word and trusting him. That's why, you see, for the reformers, understanding was so important. Because without understanding, a billboard is pretty useless. A a, a billboard in a language that you don't understand or saying something that you don't understand is not going to encourage you at all, not going to point you in the right direction. People needed to understand the message or there could be no encouragement. And so the Lord's Supper then, as we celebrate it together, is about two things. It's about remembering and trusting. Remembering that Jesus' body was given for us that Jesus' blood was shed, what Jesus has done, remembering and two, trusting, taking hold of that promise and believing, receiving that promise and saying, yes, I want to be joined up with Jesus too. In his death for me, I want to be joined up with him. In his resurrection to life, I want to be joined up with him, remembering and trusting. It's a sign and an act, a sign that points us to what God has done and an act of trust as we eat and drink because we trust him. Uh, We haven't removed, if you like, removed the power of the Lord's Supper by understanding it this way, but we've seen that rather than the power being in the particular uh, ritual or ceremony, 
what it's doing is, is merely pointing us to God who has the power to keep his promises. It's why this thing up here, and, and if you go up to St. Stephen's, the, the, the wooden thing down the end of the church, is not an altar, but a table. At an altar you make sacrifices. We're not doing that. At a table you come together to eat. We come together to eat in remembrance and trust. Now I'm not saying as, as well that we've got the perfect format for doing this thing called the Lord's Supper. Uh, clearly, if you look back to the Last Supper and what Jesus did with the disciples on that night, he certainly did more than eat a little square of bread and a, and a little tiny sip of grape juice. There was more going on. But the heart of what he brings in the symbol of those things to that Passover meal that he ate with his disciples was looking to what, well back then, what he was about to do, but for us, looking back to what he has done and trusting him, saying, yes, I'm putting, I'm having my part with Jesus. And so that's got to remain the heart of what we do, however we might do it. Now given uh, this is the last in our Reformation series tonight, I want to end on uh, how these four themes kind of all actually culminate and point to the fifth alone that I briefly mentioned back at the start, the fifth alone, uh, which is sola deo gloria, the final sola, all glory to God alone. You see, why is it so important to see God's plan for saving us entirely based in His undeserved kindness toward us? Why is it so important that God accomplishes salvation through Christ alone? Why is it so important that the Scriptures are the ultimate source of authority for making God, for God making His plan and Himself known? And why is it necessary that in this whole process of salvation, it's not, for us, it's not achieved by uh, anything uh, in that, that we're doing, but in recognizing our empty hands and trusting what God has done in Christ? Well, it's so that all might be to the glory of God alone. Sola Deo Gloria. And this truth goes deeper still. You see, there's a few brief phrases at the bottom of your, of your outline there that help us to see how these culminate and come together. We're more helpless than we realise such as our sin and our deadness in sin, that we can do nothing without the Spirit's work. We can't even incline ourselves to trust God or, t- or towards Him. We're more helpless than we realise. But secondly, God is more gracious than we realise. Although our sin leaves us utterly helpless, it also actually makes us utterly offensive to God. Think of the the highest offence that someone could offend you with. Rub it in the dirt and kind of stamp on it. Go to the toilet on it and then kick it to the side and then maybe we're starting to approach the kind of offence that we've caused God. When it comes to our sin, God is more gracious than we realise. But thirdly, Christ is also more sufficient than we realize. Just think about it. To bring to life 
those who are utterly dead in sin. To, to deal completely with the consequences of our sin, to remove such an offensive and repulsive stain, that stain of our rebellion against the one who made us and gave us life. So massive a task, yet so perfect and sufficient and complete is what Christ has done. Christ is more sufficient than we realise. And all of this adds together, multiplies together to the glory of God. A rescue of those who are helpless. Well, that's, that's glorious. A rescue of those who are helpless, but also utterly repulsive. Well, that's greatly more glorious. A rescue of those who are helpless, who are utterly repulsive, but in which the, the rescuer adopts them into his family and transforms them from those that are utterly repulsive into those who are rightly and purely reflecting the image of God in the, in the glory of Christ. Their big brother. That's amazing, isn't it? Sola Deo Gloria. All glory be to God alone, for it really all belongs to Him. Amen.